0: Welcome to the podcast of Central Church. This is a recording of our monthly contemplative service. It has been lightly edited so you can participate wherever you're listening. Our contemplative service is a gathering wrapped around spiritual practice. Each month we look at the writings and teachings of a different saint, mystic, or spiritual teacher within our Christian tradition. We hear a bit of their life story and then we sit with some of their writings using a variety of spiritual practices. We encourage you to practice with us as you're listening, and may you connect a little deeper with the heart of God along with us.
1: And so I just invite you to really be here this morning, in your body, in this present moment. just as you're here, maybe just have a sense of your body and see if there's any tension that's just in any part of your body. Maybe you're clenching your hands or your jaw. Maybe your shoulders feel tight or your chest. And if you have any any sense that you're carrying any tension, maybe just let it go a little bit see if you can soften to God's presence that is here for us now. Just take a few breaths in this place. To start our morning with confession, like we uh, regularly do. So, one of Teresa's little um, sayings was this If I did not simply live from one moment to another, it would be impossible for me to be patient. But I only look at the present, I forget the past, and I take good care. Not to forestall the future, and so our confession this morning is: I want to ask you, what is your natural orientation towards time? Are you someone who, you know, has energy that goes towards looking backwards to the past, with either um, regret uh, or sometimes we can feel shame. Or even nostalgia can be something that operates as a as a reasonably powerful feeling in our lives. Like a so perhaps you have a, a past orientation, or maybe you have more energy that is directed towards the future, in terms of uh, perhaps being anxious about the future, or even in a way operating like there's always got to be something on the horizon to. Lure me away from the present like a, a, a future orientation can be like a drug that is like always the next thing that's coming so um, maybe have a think um, what's your natural orientation towards time and just share with the person next to you what you feel yours is um, and if you if you kind of struggle to like land on anything in particular that's okay maybe just okay also just to have a conversation about what is it that draws you away from just being here in this present moment and then as as each one of you finishes you can um, read that blessing over each other at the end may you know the peace that comes from living in this present moment being here now and not captured by the past or the future sound okay I'll give you a couple of minutes and Find a friend. things I've come to um, recognize in myself is that nostalgia has an energy in my in my life and it's usually um, it's it's usually a nostalgia for a past feeling so um, a feeling from childhood of um having no responsibility and just that feeling of free, you know, like freedom, just going to play, like, and now as an adult, I can feel like often this, that nostalgia for feeling like that is like this echo in my life that can make me feel like my reality of being an adult and having responsibilities and there's always something to do is like stealing this nostalgic feeling from me. So I I can like, nostalgia can work as a... um, powerful force to take me away from the present and I'm often just thinking how can I be how can I have that feeling again it's like this little thing so it's it's an interesting um, question to just consider what are the things that lure us away from from here and now because in a very real sense God is only present to us in the here and the now Like he redeems the past, and perhaps he holds—like we can say—he holds the future. But his presence for us is really only here. And so, when our energy is living in either of those spaces, it's a distraction away from the fullness of God in this this very moment. Well, let me tell you a little bit about um, Therese. Um, I I feel like I'm going to try and do her justice this morning. Um, because I actually found her quite difficult to um, get into. Um, That's a very lovely, cute photo of her that I think was probably taken prior to her entering the uh, monastery, because she's not wearing a habit, so she might have been an early teenager at the time. Um, So she was around for photographs, which was kind of nice. Not many of the saints are. (laughs) So so Therese was born um, on January 2nd in 1873 in France. And she was the youngest of nine children, but only five of those survived childhood. So three of her, and they were all girls, three of her sisters died as infants and one of her sisters died at five years old. Um, so she, she, I think when, when I read her, she definitely displays the characteristics of a youngest child and I'll let you interpret that for um, how you feel about youngest children. <laughs> um, <laughs> you're the youngest so you can interpret that <laughs> however you like. Um, her parents were quite wealthy. Both of them were, were business people. And they got married quite late in life. Um, and so both had established businesses. Her father was a jeweller and her mum was a lace maker and distributor. And so she grew up quite wealthy in upper-class France at this time. And so she lived most of her life with servants and um, bits and bits and bobs looking after her. Um, she, but she also had quite a bit of childhood trauma. And so when she was just two months old, um, she, so, there was something going on where she stopped feeding. So she's a two-month-old baby, eight weeks old. And her mum, she couldn't feed off her mum. And so she was getting sicker and sicker and sicker as a little eight-week-old baby. And then in comes a um, peasant wet nurse who essentially scoops Therese up and takes her off out of the family home to a farm. And Therese lives with this peasant wet nurse until she's 15 months old. So she had an experience of leaving the family or being taken from, like in a, she was consensually taken um, so that you know she could thrive. But she kind of had that mother loss and that family loss. And then, of course, when at 15 months, when she's returned back to the family and she has been attached to this other mother figure, she now has another kind of mother loss. Um, and then when she was four years old, her mum died of breast cancer. So she had another mother loss. And on the day of her mother's funeral, she declared to the family that her elder sister, Pauline, was now going to be her mother, um, which worked until... Therese was nine and Pauline left and went to the Carmelite monastery at So she So at nine she lost another mother figure. And so she had a lot of uh, loss in her life to people she was deeply attached to. And when you read um, her writings, and actually as lots of people over time have read her writings, they can see in Therese um, appropriate attachment issues and just normal psychology that would happen to a young girl who's experienced the life that she has and um, but you know in her whole life it's like I think when I've read her what has really given me a great deep sense of comfort is again the recognition that God just takes us as we are with the raw material of our life with all the the good and the bad and the mess and the strengths and the weaknesses and the limitations and the gifts. And he just uses it all. And I think I see this in Therese because she's by far, uh, far from a, a perfect kind of person. Um, but she's a saint. And I think it's just this picture of the redemptive power of God in in our lives. And so she grew up with privilege, very rich and wealthy, but also grew up with a lot of loss. Um, after, after she, when she was about nine and after her elder sister left to go to the monastery, she, um, she got quite unwell and uh, really quite unwell to the point where she was having um, hallucinations. She, she couldn't stop shaking. She had all these things going on. And people have speculated like what this childhood illness was, whether it was like a psychosomatic, like kind of like emotional loss or if it was actually physical, Um, and I think one of the most credible, you know, people speculate about a lot of things, one of the most credible speculations these days is that um, the spoiler alert for Teresa's life is that she died at 24 years of age of tuberculosis, but there's no real sense, as she died in the monastery, there's no real sense of where she contracted tuberculosis, and so as you know, doctors look at her life, they think she probably contracted tuberculosis at nine years of age and it went and caused encephalitis of the brain which can happen with tuberculosis and so these symptoms she was having of convulsions and hallucinations could have quite likely been uh, an infection on her brain caused by tuberculosis. So she was quite a sickly child, she wasn't very strong and robust, she was quite weak um, but she did have quite a remarkable healing experience from these hallucinations um, at a time when her sisters were praying for her um, and she was uh, gazing at a statue of the Virgin Mary. So she had this kind of like quite you know, significant um, healing and it's not uncommon for tuberculosis to go into remission for quite a long time only to pop up again later in life. And so she she got well and... Going on in her all this time is a desire. She has a. She has a vivid imagination. Her hero was Joan of Arc. She would dream about doing all of these wonderful things for God. If we had time, I'd read you out this little bit of her writings where she's saying, I want to be a priest. No, I want to be a martyr. I want to die in every way possible. I want to be boiled in oil. I want my head cut off. Like she's like, she's And then she's like, I want to be a missionary. I want to go to every foreign land and preach the gospel. I want to be on every continent Simultaneously, she's like Yeah, she had definitely had FOMO. She was she just has this like extravagant desire to be like like huge for God. But she was actually quite a sickly, weak kind of child. Um she by by this stage by probably about 12, 13, I think two. Pauline and another one of her older sisters had entered the monastery at Lazoo, the Carmelite Monastery. And Therese just wanted to go and, and be in the monastery. It was her dream to be a nun. But she was 14 and you can't enter the monastery until 18. And so she petitioned her father, um, her local priest and the area bishop to be allowed to enter the monastery at 14. And her, her father was sort of okay with this Um, he had his sort of own stuff going on but the priest and the bishop said no you can't um, enter the monastery at 14 and so at this not long after that it just so happened that her father was going on a pilgrimage journey to Rome visiting significant um, cities in France and Italy along the way and so Therese joins the the delegation and she knew she was going to get an audience with the Pope. Um, so she was going to go to the Pilgrim's Mass in Rome. and they, at this time they must have, you go to the Pilgrim's Mass, you participated, and then everyone gets to come and kneel before the Pope. Um, it was Pope Leo XIII, and you just receive like a papal blessing. And she was very much instructed that she had to she could not speak. She just had to kneel down, you know, hold out her hands. And, and it would, you know, like it's like the procession. But she determined in her heart that, no, she was going to speak. And she was going to go straight to the top and ask Pope Leo if she could enter the Carmelite Monastery at Lazoo, And so she did. She, like, audaciously, like, you know, speaks up this little 14-year-old girl in front of the Pope. Like, I want to go into the monastery. And he his reply to her, he did answer her, which was probably quite kind, and he said, um, you will enter if God wills it, which is not the response that she wanted. So she left Rome quite disappointed because she, wasn't, she didn't get the, the papal tick of approval, but it actually was only a few weeks after that that the bishop changed his mind and allowed her to enter the monastery. So I don't know exactly what went on in the hierarchies of, of life there, but something did. And so she enters the Carmelite Monastery at lazoo a very enclosed monastery. Like when you leave your home and you enter the monastery, you don't come out again. And if you have visitations with family, they're very formal affairs. It's like you. Um, Carmelite monasteries were quite enclosed. So she was entering into a life of prayer. This little, um, quite sickly, youngest child girl who'd never even had to fix her own hair. She Like she was raised very privileged and she was going into a monastery where she there was... It was going to be quite um, stark, and you know they um, they would there was no heating in the monastery because it was that life of you know harshness that you did for God, so anyway, she enters into the monastery um, and she loved loved it. it really was what all that she wanted, and it was her the ground in which. She learnt who God was and she learnt God's love for her. Um, When you read her writings, you realise she spent all her years in the monastery simply learning how to love, Um, learning what God was like. And it's interesting because the religious climate of her day in France was not a kind religious climate. Like at the time... God was a harsh, vengeful taskmaster. They had really been influenced culturally by uh, a heresy called Jansenism, where you know it was it was a de- Jansenism has been dec- like it's been announced as a her- formal heresy, but it's it was a denial of grace. It was a it was a denial that um, God saves people. Um, like just saves people and so what was present in the day at the time was a lot of people who were very pious and devout were really scrupulous in their lives and lived with a kind of spiritual OCD around their behavior and people would even maybe carry notebooks in their pockets so that in any given moment of the day they could tally up their sins and the things that they did wrong against the good deeds and arms that they did because you really had to make sure that you were erring on the side of goodness and so this is the climate Therese was raised in with this very insecure idea of God a very vengeful idea of God a very scrupulous spirituality that was not filled with grace and very little love but Therese had this undeniable experience of God as love as herself as a a little child that God um, really just enjoyed that her mistakes and her frailty were okay because God is a loving father who just every time you fall just scoops you up and picks you up in his arms she had this just robust idea of love, and we have quite a bit of her writing. She was asked, um, a about 22 years of age, by her mother superior to write down the story of her life, and so she wrote a little manuscript called *The Story of a Soul*. Um, and she also wrote about 54 poems and eight plays, and she was she was very dramatic. Um, I feel like if she was around today, I'd call her the Emoji Saint because her, I guarantee her writing would be filled with emojis. It's like As it is, it's filled with capital letters and exclamation marks. It's very effusive. And yet what is absolutely remarkable and what impresses me is in the midst of everything that formed her to see God as harsh and to have like a scrupulosity around her spirituality, she just embodied an entirely different way. She just knew that God was love and that the only thing that was required of us was to know God's love for us and to love others as best we could. And it was into that space of all her grandiose dreams of I want to be a martyr, I want to be a saint, I want to be a priest, I want to be a missionary that she read 1 Corinthians 13 and read the words of Paul where it says, you know, if if I do all these great things and I do it without love, I'm just a resounding goal. And so her... Her deep revelation and realisation was everything should be done with love and love is all that matters. And so she really is quite, um, quite an interesting and remarkable young woman. And she was sainted, so she died at 24 um, in the monastery of tuberculosis. The last 18 months of her life were really quite severe and there was no medical treatment for her tuberculosis, so she was in a lot of pain. Um, and she really experienced a lot of darkness in the last 18 months of her life where she felt really challenged to abandon her faith and to deny God. She re- it wasn't all like, you know, roses and, you know, it was hard. She experienced a sense of abandonment of God, of loss of God. And yet she held on to this idea that God God was love. And so I, I do have for you to take home, um, if you want to, some of her writings that you can read and just sort of get a sense of who she was and get a sense of her contribution to the church. And she, so she was named a saint um, not long after she died, to the surprise of everyone who actually lived with her because they didn't actually think she was anything particularly special. Um And she was also declared a doctor of the church. So in the Catholic world, if you're declared a doctor of the church, and there are certain people throughout history who have been declared doctors, you have made a significant contribution to the theological understanding of the church. There's only four women in all of history who who have been named doctors of the church. And this little St. Therese of Lisieux, who died at 24, had no formal education, couldn't even do her own hair, is one that was named that because of her revelation of God's love. And I think that I'm so grateful um, that things like this exist. And I think in our own cultural climate there are a lot of things in the air that would take us away from an understanding that God is love and that love is the sum total of all that matters and yet we have voices like St. Therese in our history who remind us of this. So what I thought we could do this morning together is I thought we could just do two um, small practices um, coming up out of St. Teresa's um, writings. Um, I thought we would start with an examine and um, just to, yeah, to use the idea of God's love as a way of... um, Gently reviewing the last day and seeing what comes up for us. So if you haven't done an examined before, it's a simple practice of reflection, um, usually over a you know a 24-hour period um, or you know at the end of a day, where you just allow yourself the space to reflect on what has been in order that you can sense the the movings of God throughout the ordinary day of your life in places where you may have missed it or moved toward it or away from it. And it's a simple practice of reflection that's actually designed to help us be more aware in the present moment of God's presence. So practice regularly. It's designed to soften and open up our hearts and lives to where God is in any given moment and how we're feeling drawn by love. And drawn by God's presence which you know we can sometimes be a little bit asleep to as we're going through our days but the examine aims to make us more aware Um, so how about you just give yourself a little shake if you need it you've been listening for a little while and then make yourself comfortable again maybe just take a deep breath in release that breath and I just need to close your eyes or soften your gaze Saint Therese said I understood that all we accomplish however brilliant is nothing without love So I just invite you to consider the last 24 hours of life from Saturday morning to now. When was the moment you were most aware of God's love for you? Considering again your day, was there a time in the last 24 hours when you forgot or when you lost an awareness of God's loving presence? Perhaps you felt alone. As you just recall, if there was a moment of unawareness, just invite the knowledge of God's ever present love. Consider your day again, and I wonder when was the moment that you loved well? In the last 24 hours, when did you most? scan over your day one last time. Was there a time when you failed to love or respond in love to another person? Just invite God's love into that memory. God's love for you. God's love in the moment. God's love for the person you failed to love well. God, we thank you for your presence. Thank you for your love. Would you help us to keep growing into living with an ever-present awareness that we are held by you, that we are loved by you in busyness and in peace, in forgetfulness and awareness, In weakness and in strength in failures and in loving action God we give our day to you knowing that it's held by your grace and we are held by your love and your mercy and your kindness amen I think the examine is a, a great little simple practice you can can be done just to help grow us in awareness of the movements of God through the day um, let me just tell you a, a funny story of Teresa's before we we're going to do just like a brief lectio on part of her writings we um, Although she wrote a lot about love, and she, um, yeah, she did, she contributed a whole lot of um, theology around God's love and our love for others to um, to the church. She actually really at times um, struggled to love other people, like us. Um, she, you know, when you know, it's a funny thing to think about a cloistered life where you enter a monastery and you live there for as long as you live. Um, and, and, but it's, it's, it's a difficult life because you're living in very close proximity to anyone else slightly bonkers enough to want to live in the cloistered monastery. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I'm, saying, I'm being a bit silly. But like, so not everyone who's in there is just, you know, lovely and easy in the same way that not all the people that bump up against our life are easy. Um, and so she really had to learn Um, how to love the difficult and annoying sisters that she was living alongside very closely. And she tells this story of being at prayer. So obviously, you know, they have a very um, structured prayer life in the monastery. And where she was positioned to sit in the chapel was behind, in front of a particular nun who had this very annoying habit of clicking her rosary beads against her teeth so like you know you know multiple times throughout the day Therese would be sitting attempting to like be in prayer to God and all she could hear was this lady who would click rosary beads against her teeth probably with some sucking noise and like and she writes about you know, being so annoyed by this noise and sweating. Like she's trying to pray and pay attention to God, but all she can hear is this noise and she's so frustrated. She's she's just really worked up and all she wanted to do was turn around to this nun and like, stop it, stop making this noise, you know. But she recognised that in this, moment for her, and I'm not saying this is a pattern that we, ne- we never confront um, irritating habits in people around us, but for her she knew this was an invitation to to love, to, to be able to somehow transform this moment and this noise and this irritation for this noise and for this woman who was making the noise into an opportunity to love. And so she didn't attempt to block out the noise, but she spent a lot of try- time trying to imagine that noise as a beautiful noise for the Lord. Um, and it's little things like that that you. There's several little incidents that she shares in her story about this time when this, you know, she does the laundry and the the sister next to her keeps splashing all the dirty water over her and getting irritated. And then she often chose to do. Um, there was this one particular nun that she really didn't like and she was quite an elderly and disabled uh, nun and so she volunteered to be the one to spend a lot of time caring for this woman that she really didn't like and after a long time this this nun that she really didn't like turns to Therese and says I don't know why I'm your favourite but every time you look at me, there's just a beautiful smile on your face. And Therese knew that this was like the, the fruit of her ch- choice to love, that she, she did that. So she, she really, it wasn't easy for her to, um, to practice love in the life that she did, but she, she did it in small little ways that really transformed her. So we're just going to finish our little practices together with alectio Divina. So I've just chosen, um, I've actually sat two little quotes of Teresa's next to each other. And um, what we might do is um, maybe I'll get three people to read over this slowly. And we won't do as long a Lectio as we normally would, but what we might do is we'll read this through three times. Um, I'd like you to just sit with uh, the word or the phrase that Um, jumps out at you and then we might have a couple of people share what what came up for them out of this and then we might just have a time of silent prayer together so anyone want to volunteer to to be a reader peter oh wait i need two others so then I'll, I'll, i'll 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 just come and pass you the microphone
2: without love deeds even the most brilliant count as nothing when one loves one doesn't calculate the splendor of the rose and the whiteness of the lily do not rub sorry do not rob the little violet of its scent nor the daisy of its simple charm if every tiny flower wanted to be a rose spring would lose its loveliness without love deeds even the most brilliant count as nothing when one loves was one does not calculate the splendor of the rose and the whiteness of the lily do not rob the little violet of its scent nor the daisy of its simple charm if every tiny flower wanted to be a rose spring would lose its loveliness
1: maybe a few people might like to just share what it is that Stands out to them or challenges them or encourages them in this?
0: Uh, for me, it was just kind of uh, a reminder
1: of um, love as kind of a, a way of being and ongoing creation. And I guess the context, I guess, for me, in that in my sort of uh, work life, I guess, I was sort of stood up around the flowers and that sort of analogy there is. You know, there's that culture of um, to be successful, you're looking at those around you and you're not just being yourself. And that sort of diversity of just allowing love, just allowing yourself to be yourself uniquely you and not trying to be anyone else, then that's not a calculation. That's
0: just a living into being, which is a loving. Yeah. Thanks, Jay.
2: um the words simple charm and tiny flower stood out to me I think being in like a very exhausting overwhelming kind of season with a lot going on I think that's just in, an encouragement to that even when it feels like you know the smallest amount those are the little things that they're just kind of small ways to show love and then over time when it feels more manageable I can do these bigger things but for now the small things is what kind of um, helps people in little ways.
0: The bit that stood out to me was, if every tiny flower wanted to be a rose, spring would lose its loveliness. Because we do live in a world where people are wishing, wishing all the time to be something else, to be doing something else. And that was Therese. She wanted to be a missionary. She wanted to be a martyr. And yet her loveliness was displayed and her devout heart for God was displayed in a monastery locked up in a monastery, Um, and there it is for us to see centuries later. And so I suppose that resonated with me, that um, each one of us is imbued with a loveliness, imbued from God, and if we're always wishing, we're not allowing ourselves to um, appreciate that or others to see it.
2: Yeah, I chime in with, with Sue on that, that idea of, um yeah, we need to be ourselves. But the, um, the, the other half of that is that line, third from the top, uh, when one loves, one does not calculate. And I looked at that and thought, yes, yes. Uh, because when we start calculating, we're wanting to change the other person. And I think, no, we need to let them be who they are as well. Um, and there's no, um, you know, what ifs in it. Or well, what can I get out of this? It's just love, nothing else.
1: Yeah, I think Therese would very confidently write that line also to say, when God loves, God does not calculate, um, which is remarkable to me that when she lived in a culture where everything was calculated and God was a taskmaster. And, you know, I'm aware of that it's easy for thinking that God is like that to, to slip into my own life in insidious ways that um, instead of just realising that love is the acceptance of a person as they are for all their beauty, even in their littleness. So I feel encouraged by that.
2: Thinking very much in terms of, like, um, calculating in terms of numbers that those, um, like, really irritating habits that other people had around her did not subtract from her love for them. Like, well, it threatened it to, but she, again, was very intentional that she did not
1: allow that. Yeah, I mean, she's definitely a work in progress, which you read when you read her writings. I think it's, you know. Yes, it's exactly what you want. And I, I think that's one of the things that I've come to love about her. She just is actually who she is. A little bit messy, a little bit needy, a little bit, excla- lots of exclamation marks and, you know. But that's who she was. And God has just used all of that to make something beautiful out of her life. Um, just to finish, a few little um, Things. She's known as um, the little flower, St. Therese of Lisieux, the little flower. And so when you see the little flower church, um, that's, that's, who, that's who it's in honor of, St. Therese. And she was incredibly formative um, in the lives of Dorothy Day and Thomas Merton. And St. Saint, um, Saint Therese is named after Therese of Lisieux. And so, while she lived a very short life and um, a very unremarkable life in many ways, her the right her writings, the story of a soul, the little journey of her, of her path towards love, has radically transformed people as they've engaged with it. So, um, yeah. So, if you would like to read a bit more of her writings, take a, a sheet home with you, and we will have a, a I think I two weeks from. Wednesday, I think we'll have a. If anyone wants to sit in a small group and just digest a little bit more of Teresa's writings and um, practice a bit more contemplative posture towards it, we'll do that. I'll let you know where it will be. I haven't picked a venue yet, but we will do that. So um, she's well worth. She's well worth leaning into if you can handle a little bit of sugar, um, which is lovely. Um, Linda's going to come and just lead us towards communion. Um, to finish and then actually we've got a little presentation from peter after that so we'll have communion and then i'll um we'll go from there hi
2: i was just thinking while Carolyn was speaking that saying that i don't know who said it probably someone old and ancient that said um god is closer to you than you are to yourself and um, I was thinking about that at the back there, and I was thinking how hard it is for us today to keep that in our minds because we're all so busy and we're also, um, you know, doing stuff that so keeps us busy all the time. And I was thinking how important it is to realize that God is closer to us than we are to ourselves. It's a really deep truth to get a hold of. And and um, I was thinking about um, <clears throat> these people are in a convent, and so one imagines that they had the time to continually think of God. And and yes, they did have hard times, like Carolyn was saying. But they were um, in a con- She was in a convent. that They're reclusive. They don't have any outside, um, you know, distractions that we have. We have very busy distractions that take our mind away. And um, I've read her book, and I've read um, Lawrence's book and St. Teresa of Avila's book, and they all seem to just be able to have this mind set on God, um, my, the mind set on God. And the, particularly on the crucifixion, which made me think about communion this morning, they just really love, you know, there's no better love than God, hang, Jesus hanging on the cross for us. I think even in that. There where it says, one does not, when one loves, one does not calculate. The person that never calculated his love was Jesus. He just died for us and for our futures, for us, that we might be free. And um, I just pray today. I'm going to pray and then we're going to come up and have communion. And maybe we'll um, take it all together. Maybe just stay around the table. And, um, and then I'll pray. I'll pray then, I think, yeah. So come up and get communion and then I'll pray, okay? Oh, Father God, we just thank you for your son, Jesus. Lord God, we thank you for what was done on the cross. We ask you, Lord God, to let us forever know that you dwells within us. As the days go, as our moment's in our day and we think of Jesus, let us think of him dwelling within us, Lord God, that he's closer to us than we are to ourselves. We just thank you for this, Lord God. We give you thanks and we praise you, Lord Jesus.
1: Amen. Amen. Well, be blessed, everyone, as you go into your week go with St. Teresa's little way and go slow and enjoy um, the opportunities that come along to just live at a pace that's healthy for us all. Amen. There's no coffee machine, sorry. Chris and Becker, who own the coffee machine, have gone to America. And Luke, who makes the coffee, is riding his bike. So, um, yes. Disappointing. I know.